Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and my guest today is a football journalist and one of the co-hosts of my favorite podcast, the Italian Football Podcast. Please welcome to the show, Juventus supporter, and now look, not everyone is perfect, my friend, Carlo Garganesi. Amigo mio, benvenuto. Ciao, Sal. Thank you so much for, for, for having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure to come on. I'm so happy you're on. And I just, um, this has been a long time coming and having you on. But before we start, I just want to say thank you for doing this. You're one of the busiest people I know. And most importantly, when I had this crazy idea to do a podcast last summer and start this thing, you and Nima, your co-host at the Italian Football Podcast, uh, who I had on last season, gave me some amazing advice and tips and more importantly, so much encouragement to doing this. So before we just start off, I just want to express my gratitude and say thank you. Oh, no, thanks to you as well. You've been a great supporter of our, of our own podcast and, and I think you're doing a great job and you're, you're enjoying it as well. And that's the, that's the most important thing. Um, for, for, for me anyway, doing my own podcast, it's the, I enjoy doing it. And if you enjoy it, then that's, that's half of it, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you're coming to us from Bedford, England, and you've told me that this is a hotbed of Italian expats like your family. What was it like growing up there and supporting Italian soccer in a country that loves its own league and own style of play? Yeah, uh, people that are outside of Bedford are not too familiar uh, about Bedford and it's it's. Italian population is I'm not sure exactly, but it's. uh, I believe it's it's if not the number one, but it's definitely in the top three to five in in all of Europe for the concentration of of Italians or it's those of Italian ancestry in uh, in a non-Italian country. And there's around about a hundred thousand people that live in Bedford, wow. which is a it's a it's a small town north of about fifty miles north of London, and. In Bedford, it's, it's around about one in four, one in three and a half are of uh, have at least one parent who is uh, who is Italian, and it dates back to the immediately after the, the Second World War, when um, there was um, a labour shortage in in the in the UK after the. Um, uh, after the war and they needed to, to reconstruct and the, um, the, the, the local uh, brick company um, near Bedford, which was one of the biggest brick companies at, at the time, um, was, was short on labor and it uh, recruited um, uh, workers from, um, from, from Italy, from the south of Italy. And as you know, the south of Italy and it's still, still the case now, but definitely yeah. more so back then, there was no work there, uh, and and so so yeah, thousands. I think I think around up to around about ten thousand uh, Italians came over from from uh, from the south of Italy after the Second World War, and that included my both sets of my my grandparents, and this is we're talking about early fifties, early nineteen fifties here, and the initial plan was that they would come over here for a few years, you know. To to, to 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 work to you know to get a wage and then they would move back to uh, to Italy once they'd earn a little bit of money 
but what actually ended up happening in most cases is they end, or most of them ended up staying in in uh, in, in England or in or in Bedford, as is, as was the case with my grandparents. And you know, and as from there, you know, the generations passed, and you know, my my dad moved over here when he was twelve years old, and then my mum my mum was actually born uh, over here in Bedford, and then and then I was born here uh, in Bedford, but I had a very you know a very Italian upbringing obviously because of my parents and my grandparents and and because so many Italians in Bedford so many Italian friends and there is an, a very very strong Italian community uh, even still now although not so much as there was you know 10 20 30 years ago even 50 years ago um, there's a strong Italian community and you know football <laughs> uh, plays uh, plays a big part around that that strong community whenever there's a, a a tournament with Italy are playing and uh, we saw it in the in the Euros I mean if you just YouTube Bedford Italy celebrations you'll see how crazy the the, the celebrations were in Bedford where like thousands of Italians all, all taken to the to the to the riverbank which beca- which becomes kind of like the celebration uh, area of celebration for Italians uh, Bedford Italians it's, it's mad and so so yeah it's um it's uh, Italy is uh, it's, it's, it's massive <laughs> in Bedford that's fantastic. I mean, what's kind of crazy is, is that your story is the mirror image of mine, but in different countries. Like my father came to America around the same age as your dad went to England. Um, my mother was born in the States, but her parents were descend were, you know, uh, immigrants from Italy. And again, Southern, Southern Italians, uh, Sicily right after World War II. Um, at least that was for my maternal grandparents. My paternal grandparents came in the seventies, that's when my father popped over, but uh, it's crazy that this story is not just unique to me and to you. It's it, this is the story of so many people. And what's funny to me is, is that growing up and I wasn't in a major Italian neighborhood, but I always felt like my story was kind of unique as you get older, you meet more people and the world becomes much, the world becomes bigger, but it also becomes smaller at the same time. So it is funny and beautiful to hear your story as well. Now, you know, one thing that has happened, especially in Bedford and especially around the UK was, you know, we saw this summer, a interesting thing where England's obviously playing Italy in the Euro final. And, there were a lot, you were there, like people like yourself of uh, Italian descent, happened to be born in England, going to the final cheering on the Azzurri. You know, what's that dynamic like? What was that feeling like, you know, knowing that, because it's kind of, you kind of set the tone for me in a lot of ways, because that's how I feel about the U.S. It's not that I, I don't dislike the U.S. men's national team. But if they're playing the Italians, like if they're playing the Azzurri, like that, that's my heart. Like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to cheer for I'm going to cheer for the Azzurri. It's just how it is. Um, you know, what's so what's that like for you? Talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, quite, quite similar. Um, I think for, for every uh, Italian um, in in Bedford, first generation, second generation, third generation now, um, I think everybody is that they're, they're all um, you know extremely grateful for the opportunities that have come through through uh, living in the uh, in in England and I guess it's the same for, for you guys in in the states as well the opportunities here that, that weren't there in uh, in Italy 
um, or, or, you know, the same for, for many immigrants. Um, but I think that, you know, the, you, it's what you feel at the end of the day. And, you know, for me and for, for the, the vast majority of my Italian friends that are, are in Bedford is that they feel Italian. Uh, and that obviously comes partly from you know having italian family having italian grandparents but the italian upbringing you know the the food the the the, um, when you're young going to church the 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 occasions um you know the events that you go to the uh you know there's so many you know there's italian uh my dad's got an italian uh pasticceria um you know it's the biggest the biggest one in the in the in the, the county and you know so growing up around that and and then you know there are italian restaurants that are in bedford and and you know so living growing up in a little italy and 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 obviously you know then you get into the football as well and and you know you so it's you you feel it's what you feel your 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 i mean your blood obviously is italian that's one thing um but you know some there's always been that debate you know what is your nationality? Is it where you're born or, or is it your blood? Um, you know, I think it depends on the person. It's, at the end of the day, I think it's what you feel at the end of the day. There's some people that have, the, you know, that may be 100% Italian in terms of their blood, but they were born in a different country and they feel what they, what, you know, the country that they were born in. Then there's others that were, that might only be half Italian. Like, for example, I've got cousins that are half Italian and half English. They've got an English, one English parent and one Italian parent, but they feel completely Italian, you know? So I think it, it depends. It depends on the person. For me, I've always felt 100% Italian. Uh, it was never something that was imposed on me by, you know, by my parents, for example. Uh, you know, my mum, you know, why do I support Italy, for example? You know, like my mum never liked football. She still doesn't really like football. Uh, my dad, my dad likes football, you know, liked football, but he wasn't absolutely crazy like me. He was just somebody that would, um, you know, follow the tournaments and maybe follow some of the bigger matches. At the yeah, same matches. with my dad. Yeah. Um, you know, and probably more so, you know, would, would gamble on football. We would do the pools and, and stuff, you know, <laughs> but he wasn't like a crazy, you know, he wasn't somebody that followed every single game, followed all the, the news and, and everything. So, you know, it wasn't something that was ever imposed on me. I was never told, you know, give it, bought, I was never even bought a, a football shirt. You know, it was, it, it was something that I just happened to fall in love with football myself. Um, and then from that, Italy, I just felt Italian. Um, and, you know, so, so yeah, it's not really, it's not something I don't think that's easy to explain. It's, you understand it if you support Italy. You, it's not something that you just, you just feel it, basically. Yeah, I, and I'm, I've got a little goosebumps like hearing you talk about this because, you know, you know, a dear friend of mine who I had on the podcast last summer, uh, Rosario Pellerito, who's a huge Inter supporter. He was the only other person that would, I could have this connection with and discuss this about because so many others, you know, I am, I am speaking for myself here too, but like it was, it was always very hard for so many years. Um, especially I remember in four years ago when both the U S and Italy failed to qualify for the world cup, which now seems to be common practice for the Azzurri, which we're going to go into in a minute. Um, but you know, so many folks were just like, Hey, you know, Italy's out, but, and then a week, a couple days later, or was a week later, I don't even remember, but the U S was soon out afterwards. And I said, Oh, well, you know, oh, as soon as Italy got out, people had told me like, Oh, well, you can cheer for the U S and I'm like, ah, it's just, 
no, like it, you know, and when it comes to international play, like, yeah, there, there's countries that I love, you know, like South Africa has changed my life and I love that country so much. And I love the people of South Africa. And whenever they're in a major tournament, I'm pulling for them. But at the end of the day, the, the beacon here is, is the Azzurri. And it was, and it was, it was shown to me in a little more evident four years ago that the fact that people were sort of like, you know, yeah, well, you have two teams you can choose from. And then the U.S. got knocked out. I'm like, well, it's I, I no, I got one team. I just happened to be in the country of the other one. Yeah. So it always it, it felt a little lonely. I'm not going to lie. It felt a little. And, you know, that's part of the camaraderie that Russ and I always had. And we discussed that in our episode. But, you know, hearing you with the virtually the exact same story uh, across the pond, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I think part of it is like there's the feeling of a bit of a derby rivalry. Uh, there was that feeling when Italy played England in the final, for example, like with all my English friends and and just in the Bedford community, that this was kind of like a derby. Right. <laughs> it was like Italy, it was like <laughs> if you lived in Milan, it would be like Milan versus Inter, and, and it was it was that was the kind of feeling um, of it. Uh, mostly, you know, mostly in good humour. You're always going to get idiots on, on yes. both sides of, of, you know, that happens with anything. Absolutely. Um, but but um, I think from from the Italian side, I mean, you probably will get the odd. You, I mean, I do know a few. You will get the odd fan, maybe slightly older generation who say, and this happens with all immigrants, you know, when the first generation immigrants came over to England, and I know this was a problem in America going back further back, probably going back to the end of the 19th century, probably in America, where when the first Italian immigrants came over to, to the States or to England or to Bedford, you know, you get the usual from the locals, oh, here come the, the immigrants taking our jobs. And then right. you, get the, you get the kind of the racism and, and you know, with the Italians, you get, you know, the, the usual kind of slurs that you'll get, you know, greasy, wops and, you know, all that, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and, you know, that 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 happened. You used to get, you know, the 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 the, the stuff about the war, you know. And I used to get it at school myself, you know, from from some of my English friends. And most of the time, they just they just you know just you could call it banter, but sometimes it went a bit too far, you know. Stuff like, oh, uh, you know, swapping sides in the war, and you know, Mussolini and fascists, and and you know, stuff like that. And it could be nasty for people that are a little bit weak. But I think that sometimes that for the first generation Italians that came over. That can also be a reason that sometimes created a bit of a divide. As much as these, those same people are grateful um, for for what this country's given them, um, at the same time, when they're not always felt, when they don't always feel welcome um, everywhere, um, that can create a reason to why maybe you know passing down to their kids you've got to support italy because you know this is your people these this is you, do you know what i mean and, and absolutely no absolutely think, it makes perfect sense that, yeah because we're seeing that today too we're seeing that you know we're still seeing that in the u.s we're still seeing that in the u.s as you know um as immigrants arrive here uh you know part of, that was part of the whole thing with brexit too that was part of, that was a determining thing in brexit was you know immigrants coming to the uk and you know look immigrants make everything better and the end of the day it's like it you know they immigrants people coming to some place for a better life always brings something that you know you needed and then until you have it yeah and it becomes better food, really, better, food, food better food yeah <laughs> food fashion art culture it's just all of that all of that and again football too now you know so it is 
Wow, it's 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 really you know I've known you for a couple of years now, but it's really striking to hear that finally we get to talk, um, and it just how all, how it's just so much similar all of this is. But as I said in the beginning of the podcast, not everybody is perfect, because you officially marked that I have more Juventus fans on this show now than Milan supporters, and that's the beauty of having difference of opinion because I want to hear everyone's perspective, even if I don't agree with it or don't like the team that you support. Uh, and Carlo, I know you are one of the most brilliant footballing minds uh, I oh. that are that I know, and uh, and I and I appreciate everything that you always say. But we're going to talk about this now. I have to see and hear things from all sides, as I said, in all spectrums. <laughs> so how did your love, and pardon my uh, little banter here, how did your love of the evil empire come about? <laughs> oh, well, Juventus, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I I started, my, my I, well, I first fell in, fell in love with football at Italian 90. Uh, I was only five years old at the time. Uh, and I, that's my first, but I do have some, some vague memories from before that, but my mm-hmm. first, you know, I think everybody, there's always a tournament where everybody's like, yeah, that's when I, yep. and Italian 90 was, was it for me. And that's that tournament. I fell in love with, well, two players in particular, Roberto Baggio and, and Schilacci. Man, was, dude, did you just like, did we live the exact same life? This is like, <laughs> this is so strange. I'm sorry except to interrupt. You did, except for you didn't support Juventus after yeah. No, no, yeah, no, I changed allegiances very yeah. quickly. <laughs> Continue. You, you were the glory hunter because Milan were winning <laughs> everything at the time. Yeah. No, but, but at, no, at the time I, I fell in love with those two players um, in particular. But I also did have an uncle who, while Italian 90 was on, a, a, an uncle who, funnily enough, is Neapolitan and lives in Naples, but was a massive, or still is, a massive Juventus fan, who wow. probably the only na- only person in the whole of Naples that supports Juventus. He, he has uh, to have, like, the greatest security in his home, yeah, right? Like- exactly, exactly. And he was actually over in the... They were actually over here while Italian 90 was on. And he he was very much on to me. Oh, you got to support Juventus. you got to be support Juventus. And he started, from that tournament, started buying me... Juventus shirts and, and stuff so I kind of I think it was a bit with him a bit towards to with him but also the presence of Scalacci and, and Baggio at Juventus um, at the time and then Baggio went on to become my 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 absolute idol as a, as a youngster and I like you know I, I absolutely loved him and I, I used to you know watch all his games and buy everything that I could of, of him I bought his Diodora, yellow Diodora boots. And I used to wear them when I started playing football. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think it was, it was probably mostly Baggio, to, to, to be honest with you. He was, he was the main man. And it was from around about 90, from 1990, 91 season was when I, 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 I really started supporting Juventus. Because I remember that year they got to the semifinals of the Cup Winners' Cup and they played Barcelona in the semifinals. And they... They lost the first leg 3-1. And then in the second leg in Turin, they they won 1-0. Badger scored a brilliant free kick. And they were just they were going for that second goal and they couldn't find it. And they went out. And I always remember that being really disappointed uh, about, about them going out in, in that match. And then Barcelona lost it. Man United won the final against Barcelona. So that was the first season with, with Juventus that I, that I was a real supporter of them. Wow. And and. You know, and those are the Baggio years too. So, you know, it all yeah. sort of makes perfect sense. You know, one thing that I greatly admire 
is that you're never afraid to speak your mind when your team does poorly. And even when they do, they win a game, you still manage to criticize them. Uh, many supporters have blinders on. And it's, it's a, and that's, and that's not uh, an issue. It's sort of like a, almost like a product defect to some degree. It's not a major issue, but sometimes when people chastise or constructively criticize, we say it's the proper term here, their club, it's some people take it as, Oh, you don't love them enough. You got to love them through thick and thin, but you can also love them and point out their faults. And you do that week in and week out. And you, if I didn't know you, I would never know that you were a Juve supporter, which is kind of incredible because that's how every week you come with these facts and you come with a laundry list of issues that need fixing and need adjusting. And you're very passionate about it, which is amazing. You know, how important is it to you to be such a vocal critic of the club that you love? Yeah, no, I, I, well, I think for me, it's slightly different. Uh, and you will understand this as, as a journalist yourself, that, you know, you, you have to be, you, you know, I think, listen, any, any journalist, any football journalist who says that they're completely neutral is lying because every football fan has, has a club that they support. That's number one. But at the same time, I think that even for those journalists, football journalists, you, you, you know, you have to be, careful not to be biased in not so much in what you say, but in how you say it. Um, and so I think that probably does play a little bit of, of a role, you know, in, in how critical I am, like how I was, if I watch a football game with my friends and Juventus or Italy are playing, what I will say to my friends won't be exactly necessarily how I'll word, <laughs> how I'll word the tweet, you know, because if I did that, people would start calling me a fanboy or, you know, and I want to be real, you know, I don't want to put on, you know, I don't want to uh, project something that's fake. And I don't think I do. But at the same time, so that's number one, um, I think that does that does play some role. But but also, I think that any true fan um, should that wants the best for their team needs to, you know, you, you, you've got to be critical um, if you want the team to improve. And I think probably because you've known me for the last two years, um, during those two years, Juventus haven't been particularly great. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'm the curse. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm La Strega coming after it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you followed me during, say, 2014 to 2016, which I would say were probably the three great years where Juventus really were, you know, you couldn't criticise them too much. They had a fantastic team. They were being run brilliantly. You probably wouldn't have found. You probably still would because I'm a perfectionist. But you know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't find the kind of stinging criticism that you find from me now. And the last two years, in particular, you know, Juventus have been run so badly, uh, and has, and it's been the culmination of being run badly. You know, in a in couple of years or so before that, um, that you know, there has been a lot to complain about. You know, fans that the Juventus fans who go out there, you know, those that say, oh, you should support your team through thick and thin, you should never criticise. I mean, that's a stupid thing to say. Yes, you can support your team. You want your team to win. But if you're there and you, know, and you stay silent when, when, you know, when there's things that are blindingly obvious that are wrong, you know, there's players that are playing who are not good enough. There's, you know, there's, there's you know, chiefs, transfer chiefs that are, that are clearly not up to the job. You know, things are never going to improve if you don't point out you know the the, the problems and um, so that's that's kind of you know really what I what I try and do and I think a real fan also 
you know, if you have lived during the good days and you and you have certain, I have so I have high expectations right. for Juventus right. because you know I grew up during the 1990s when Juventus were the best team in the world, you know, and they were dominant and they got to three Champions League finals in a row, won one of them and and should have won the other two and probably underachieved during that time, you know. And so for me, that's the Juventus. Those are the Juventus standards, uh, and those are the standards that I try. You know, that I want my team to 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 to, to adhere to. Um, so you know, you've got some fans who who, in my opinion, who criticise me, who who whose standards are too low. You know, when I see when I see you know Juventus fans that are praising Weston McKenney or praising uh, Tichilio. Or you know these kind of players, you know they're not Juventus standard players. They're not the that's not that's not they might have a good game now and again. They might score a goal, but that's they're not Juventus level. So you know I want I'm trying to maintain and reach the highest standards. So that's why I will be critical unless we reach those standards. I mean, look, it, I I I fully see that and I understand that. You know when you have a team that has had over the years, Marquisio. You know, Chiellini, you know, is still there, but, you know, he's on his way out. Bonucci, I don't really care for, for obvious reasons, but, <laughs> you know, he's a, you know, him and Chiellini is that is probably the best defensive tandem I've seen in Italy since Baresi and Maldini. And, you know, you can argue maybe Maldini and Nesta. But, Nesta, for me. Yeah. yeah, they're up there. They're definitely they're up, up there. there. You know, it's a definitely, you know, look, it's a holy trinity of, you know, defensive tandems as though as those that we just mentioned. So you know, Buffon, you know, Del Piero, even even Iguain, you know, you've had guys that players that really played for that shirt. So when you have, you know, let's just say this is a test and you're in school. You know, you've had Juventus have had A to A plus players, B plus to B level players or C level players. That's you might as well just that's give an F because that's that's a failure. You know, that's you know, you you are you're setting a standard here. It's sort of, you know, there are certain clubs, whether it's Juventus, Barcelona, Manchester United, you know, we see it at United now and it is. You know, you're always expecting the best. You're always expecting that A plus, A to A plus players. So when you have a subpar player, mm, you know that's that's pretty weak. It, look, Milan went through it. You know for how long? Uh, and Milan went through it when Juve were dominant in Italy for those nine years. You made those UCL finals twice in that time uh, under Allegri's first tenure. When you look back at that impressive run. What does it say about the club, or does it speak more to how the league was run for that near decade? I think a bit of both. I think a bit of both. I mean, again, we, you, we're talking about standards here. You know, I grew up, we grew up in the 1990s, uh, and even in the decade before that, when we were too young to appreciate it, during <laughs> the 1980s, right. you know, when Serie A was the best league in the world, not only the best league in the world, but the best league that the world has ever seen. You'll never find, like, during the 1980s and the first half of the 90s, you know, it wasn't just the best players in the world all played in Serie A, that they were spread out through every single team. Right. You know, it was it was so... That's how competitive it was. You know, you had a time when Maradona, the best player in the world, was playing for, for, for Napoli at the same time that Zico the other best player in the world was playing for Lowly Udinese and then Milan had the three Dutchmen and the, 
Inter had the three Germans and, and you know, Juventus had Platini and Boniek and, and, you know, you could go through every, you know, Fiorentina had Socrates and Passarella and, 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 you know, these, we're just talking about the foreigners here. We're not talking about the Italian World right. Cup winners. And, you know, so, you know, we, you go on and on. And it was, that was how good it is. So again, those are standards. Unfortunately, the standards have fallen. You know, the money isn't there in Serie A now. Um, the money is all in the Premier League. Um, and the game has, I mean, we could do a completely new pod, different podcast on, on how, you know, the, the, the club game is, is in the, the state of the club game in terms of com, 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 how competitive it is and how everything is so dominated financially and sportingly now by the Premier League. Um, but obviously, Serie A has been one of the biggest casualties, not just for that reason, but for reasons, faults of its own as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that has resulted in the last 10 to 12 years in particular um, with the league, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's very, very entertaining. For me, it's the most entertaining league in Europe still. Yep. But the quality, unfortunately, has declined quite significantly, unfortunately. Uh, we have to be honest. Uh, again, we want the best for our league. We have to honest that the quality of Serie A is not great right now. Right. Uh, and, you know, as a result of that, um, during these 10 to 12 years, Juventus were, for the first half of those, that dom- that dominant nine-year winning cycle, probably the only club that were actually really being run uh, competently at, at right. the time. They had their yeah. own stadium. Yes, they, they, they took had Beppe Marotta. Yeah, they had Beppe Marotta, who's now at Inter, who who was you know uh, did an amazing job in building the club and the transfer market and building a squad and and you know. It, was, it did a great job. So the, I think the dominance was partly due to Juventus being run very, very well, but also the shortcomings of the other teams. Milan and Inter were in crisis during that time. Milan were in financial crisis mm-hmm. and they almost went bust. <laughs> they had to get put in, a, in and uh, be taken over by uh, camp, camp, venture capitalists. Um, so, you know, it's, um, and then, you know, Inter of the same almost went bust. They've been in financial crisis and they're the two, other two biggest clubs. And it's very difficult for the other teams to challenge. And, um, so that yeah, I think that was part of the reason why that, that that Juventus dominated, and it was a bit of both. I think I've always equated, or not always, in the last during Juventus's nine-year run. So basically, in the last dozen or so years, basically since Del Piero has left the league, um, I'm not saying that it's because Del Piero has left the league, City has gone south, but you've kind of see a little where I'm getting at with this. Um, I love him so much. You know, he's him, Totti, De Rossi. Those are three guys that never played for my team, but I just never cared. I, I just, I love them so much. And I always wish they did play for Milan at some point, but they never did. And that's cool too. You can still cheer for those guys. But I sort of look at when Del Piero left and then you start to see that decline. Interestingly enough is that in that dozen years, I've noticed that City, I've equated it to a snake eating itself. A snake for obvious reasons, because look who's running it. But that snake is filling itself up. But when it's hungry, it's just eating. So it's, you know, it's filling its stomach, but it's destroying itself at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I look at what's how City is being run and what's going on there in a critical lens because of just the look at look at how difficult it is to for the two Milan clubs to get a stadium. Nim and I talked about this last season on when I had him on, you know, you look at Roma Lazio, they're still sharing the Olympico, which is awesome. That's fine. But 
you know, those, those teams probably deserve better. They, you know, they certainly deserve better and they deserve something more than that. Uh, you know, the Stadio Diego Maradona now, we've all heard about the toilet situation and what the locker room looks like, you know, there. <laughs> that, you know, the stadium revamping across that country is desperately needed. And there's all sorts of red tape and bureaucracy. And again, a lot of it comes down to the teams don't own their stadiums. It's the municipalities that do. So that creates another layer of things, you know, TV rights, which you always tweet about. Um, and also the appeal and attraction, you know, when people talked about how, when Ronaldo went to Juventus, this is going to be great for City A. To some degree it was because people paid more attention to the league than they were prior, but it also, it wasn't just great for Juventus, at least that first season. It was great for everybody else because now, you know, when Roma hears that, oh, the, they've got the best player in the world now at Juventus and every other club is thinking the same thing, whether it's Fiorentino, whether it's, you know, the, both the Milan sides, with Danesi, it's, well, how can, what can we do? How can we manage to figure this out and try and bring down this dragon, if you will. And some teams stepped up their game and they figured out like good deals to make. They figured out ways to create homegrown talent. Um, it, but it simply wasn't enough. Do you think now that City will ever become a destination for top players again? Or was the Ronaldo thing, that whole situation, a prime example of this is just, it, it, we can't handle it. Because if we can't handle him, how are we going to handle someone in their prime? Like I don't see. I, I'm happy that I'm happy that a guy like Vlajevic stayed in the league. I really am. I'm pissed that he went to Juventus, but I'm happy that he stayed in the league. But he is primed to be a global superstar. Can they retain him? You know, can Juventus? Can the league? Can Juventus? Can any? Can that? Can we hold on to him? We saw this summer. We couldn't even hold on to Donnarumma. So, and, and which has actually been kind of a blessing for Milan, but that's okay. But he was, you know, a year ago, he was the top prospect. He was the top player or one of the top players in that league. So what do you, what do you to make of that? Oof, well, I don't know where to start. I mean, to answer your, to your, 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 your question at the end there on Vlaovic, I mean, either he stays at, he stays at Juventus for the rest of his career for the next 10 years. Wow. Uh, okay. Or, or, or he leaves Serie A. Mm. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, he's not going to move to, uh, if he becomes the player we think he's going to become, um, I don't see how he can move to another Serie A team, unfortunately, because Juventus are by quite some distance the, 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 mo the, the richest team in Italy. They make the most revenue by quite some distance. They've got the biggest salary bill, they can afford the biggest wages. Um, so, you know, I don't see that changing and, and, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think the, unfortunately the, the most likely thing is that he'll stay at Juventus for, uh, I hope at least three or four years at least. Uh, but then the, you know, he's, he, the chances are he will yeah move on to, to a big premier league team or a big Spanish team. Yeah, or PSG. Unfortunately, that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's how it right. that's how it works. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I mean, you, you've kind of answered the question on all the on how does Serie A become a destination again? It's it's down to 
you know, the, the league to change all the things that they, you've mentioned, that they have to have their own stadiums, that they need to, to that culturally, they need to, you know, they need to uproot everything, so that you didn't touch upon the youth, youth right. football. Which okay, so complete, bring me bring me there, like, show. The youth football is in complete crisis. You know, the, Italy's not producing any youth players, any young players. There's one, there's one teenager in, uh, one Italian teenager playing regularly in Serie A at the moment. There's only three teenagers full stop of any nationality. The other two are Scottish. One's Scottish, Hickey, and one's uh, American, Busio. They're the only, th- only three teenagers playing regular football in Serie A. Italy's the ninth worst league in the world and the third worst league in Europe in terms of minutes given to under 21 players. Um, so that youth players are not getting the opportunities. The youth is the, the future. That's how we can build. If we're not going to have the money of the Premier League, and no league in Europe has anywhere has the money or the, the Premier League. The Premier League makes six billion in every three-year cycle from wow. just from the foreign TV contracts. It's Serie A makes 500 million. So how can you possibly compete with the Premier League where you're making 500 million to 6 billion, you know, every team are sharing that? It's impossible. So, you know, you look at other ways. You look at, you know, youth. But then also you, you can look at generating. Uh, how can you generate more income? Well, you can generate more income for starters by bringing in more matchday revenue. Uh, at the moment, Serie A clubs, most Serie A clubs, uh, nearly all of them, don't own their own stadiums. Uh, as a result, they make nothing from match day revenue, not just tickets for the games, but also, you know, any shops, uh, 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 you know, around the stadium, um, any, you know, merchandise sold in the stadium, food, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that goes around with it. Um, match programmes, everything, you know, the, the, the Premier League clubs, you know, because they and, and other clubs in other countries because they own their own stadiums you know, they're able to make money from that. It's area clubs don't. So there's, that's number one. That's just one minor thing. Then you've got the commercial uh, revenue, which, which uh, again, you know, clubs from other countries are, are, are way out uh, ahead and in, in advanced in, in other markets around the world. You know, the Premier League has absolutely cornered the African market, for example, uh, the Asian market as well. There are some areas of Asia and the Middle East that are very strong Serie A, but that's because it's selling itself as a legacy, not because it's really, you know, modern marketing. I mean, the marketing of the Serie A is an absolute shambles. I use this example. This is just a microcosm, a very minor problem. Um, is the, just look at the Twitter account, the Serie A Twitter account, the English Twitter account. It's run by a, by a person. Um, no disrespect to the guy. I don't know who he is. He can't even he can't even speak English. He can't even write English in full sentences. You know, this is our window to promote our league to the yeah. world on our Twitter, on the Twitter account, the guy can't even write English, you know? So what an embarrassment, what kind of an embarrassment is that, is that to the league, you know? So we could improve commercially um, and make more money from commercial revenue and get better deals and better sponsors and, and everything. But to do that, the image needs to improve. And then you see the racism and, right. and you know, and, and, and all these other things that, that go on that are not a good look. Um, so it's, it's, it's very much, uh, you know, a combination of, of, of different things. We could be here all day talking about it. But for that to happen, there needs to be the will to change. And unfortunately, you know, football, as they say, reflects society. Uh, and it's a mirror of society, football. Uh, and uh, Italian football is a mirror of Italian society. And, you know, the people that are in power, they want to hold on to power. They don't want to change. Many of them are aging with old ideas, old-fashioned, outdated, uh, and as a result, nothing will change. And, you know, it didn't change after Italy failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Nothing changed at all. 
Um, you would have thought they would have learned their lesson from there. <laughs> they haven't. Now we haven't qualified for a second World Cup in a row. So um, do you expect anything to change now? I don't expect anything to change, unfortunately. I Yeah, I, I sadly agree. I mean, you know, we could go on to be back-to-back Euro champs, which would be the first time that would ever happen for the Azzurri. But it's almost, it's not enough. You know, because the World Cup is sort of, Italy in a World Cup is sort of like Milan in Champions League. When they're not there, you miss it. When they are there, everybody. You don't have to be a Milan fan. You don't have to be an Italy fan. But when they are there, everybody's watching. Everybody's paying attention. And I mean everybody. And when they get knocked out, all right, you know, everyone, of course, will then have their say, whether they're cheering or jeering. But it's it's a focal point. You expect them to rise to that occasion and be there. And a World Cup is in, you know, the Azzurri DNA. It's part of the blue blood that flows through there. And it's it's so, but if they're not going to change anything, I don't know, even if the FIFA expands to however many more teams they want to have in a World Cup, we'll find a way to screw that up and not qualify for that too. Because there, there's, as you said, there's there's not change, there's not enough change happening. And I'm happy that at the moment, as we speak, Roberto Mancini is sticking around. But Mancini needs to also now, at this point, bet on himself. And as you said with the youth, start bringing in players that maybe would not, he wouldn't have given a chance in this playoff run, but now start grooming them, given a chance. Because it is, or else it doesn't matter who's coaching. It could be Pep Guardiola coaching or Jürgen Klopp coaching the Italian national team, and they still won't qualify if they're not going to change. And that's by the bottom line. No, no, absolutely. Uh, I I wanted Mancini to stay, and I'm happy that he stayed because I think that all these problems that we've just discussed, that problems in Italian football, culturally, more than anything else, he understands those problems. Uh, Right. And... What the 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 what he could change himself, and there's only so much he can do. He's only the manager of the national team; right. he can't change the uh, the entire culture of the country. <laughs> and and, and but here's and, the thing, and, though he 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 actually he could because that's how mu- that's how important the manager of the Azzurri is. Because I remember years ago, there were certain players that came out and made very homophobic comments. Italian players, Italian. World Cup winning, 2006 World Cup winning soccer players that were just like, ah, I'll never be a gay player on my team. Never never allowed that in the locker room. And, you know, the powers that be, of course, because as you said, you talked about racism earlier. They didn't really do much. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. It wasn't anything. People laughed it off. And that was it. But Mancini is one that he he's an older guy, but he's a progressive. And I feel that if he were to come out and say, like, no, we're going to have gay players on this team. And you're going to respect our black players and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And you're going to try and be good spectators and human beings to the people trying to win this country a trophy. The mindset, and I know it's so, so naive to say in that way, but like, I think the mindset could change because the power that an Italian national team manager has is great, far greater than any president, any local politician, any celebrity and we, we know, you and I both know how obsessed Italy is, not only with football, but a celebrity-driven culture. Um, you know, Chiara Fernandez, she's 
an amazing entrepreneur, what she's been able to do, but she's the influencer of influencers. She's the queen of Italy right now. And her husband, he's a fine musician. He's not great, but he's fine. He's, a, you know, but he, when we saw the last year, he spoke out against racism and homophobia. Everybody listened. And it was really awesome. And I was like, all right, Fidesz, now you're using your platform for something really awesome, aside from like showing off Supreme clothes and, you know, new tattoos you got. Um, and people listen. And more powerful than them would be the manager of the national team. So I think if Mancini were to start, like, even just doing things like that, I think slowly but surely, and, it, and I know it shouldn't happen over a slow period of time. It should be quicker. But I think the mood and the temperature could change. Do you yeah, see that? I know. Yeah, no, no, I agree. It, it's certainly it's the same with any anyone that's with in an influential position. Um, you know, when they speak, it's going to be much more powerful. Um, but obviously, at the same time, it's one thing speaking; it's another thing those you know they end up being actions. Um, right. And you know, you know what it's like. Um, the, the news cycle changes very quickly. You know. Um, Two weeks ago, everyone's going absolutely ballistic about Italy not qualifying for the World Cup. Um, and that is still lingering, obviously, a little bit. Um, but, you know, a week later, there was a big controversy between Juventus and Inter, a refereeing scandal. And, and everybody's talking about that. Um, and it kind of changes, you know. And it's, right. it's a bit like, you know, the news cycle does change quickly. And, you know, it's, you've got the coronavirus uh, pandemic, for example, which is dominating everything for you know for two years then all of a sudden there's the you know the ukraine russia war and then all of a sudden well over here anyway no one's talking about the coronavirus so do you know what i mean so so i think mancini can help and he certainly helped change views with regards to how italy should play it, you know mancini played a progressive or plays a progressive attacking style of football where he wants his teams to dominate the play he wants them to, to dominate possession. He wants them to press high. He wants them to take the game to the opposition. He wants them to play um, probably, I would say, Pep Guardiola-like football uh, in terms of style. And Italy won the Euros. Italy would not have won. Okay, we failed to qualify for the World Cup. Um, we were a little bit unlucky with that, and there's many other reasons why. But you know, we would not have won the Euros if it wasn't for Roberto Mancini um, well, if it wasn't for Roberto Mancini, but more so if it wasn't for Roberto Mancini's attitude and mentality, changing right. the, the idea of how Italy and, and imposing that, how Italy should play. Uh, and unfortunately, there's too many, there's still too many coaches and too many people with influential people within Italian football that are still holding on to the old school of Italian. Max Allegri is one of them. Um, and, and, you know, but because of Mancini, a lot that, has certainly accelerated from that 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 side of things that the Italy need to you know the Italian teams need to move away from the old defend being solid defensively and counter attacking they need to move to more to a more progressive you know style of football and so that's just one example of where you know the, the manager of the national team certainly can have an impact not even necessarily just with his words but with his actual actions. Um, you know, youth football, he's spoken out about youth football, about how there's not enough young players playing. I mean, Zaniolo, for example, uh, you know, he he put, called him up to the Italy national team before he'd even made his his uh, professional senior debut. Right. Uh, so, you know, that accelerated his his uh, his career 
you know, put pressure on the coaches. Obviously, there's only so much he can do. I mean, if there's only one teenager playing in Serie A and, you know, Italian teenager playing in Serie A, it's, very, it's only so much Mancini can do, but he can certainly play a role. But I think there's some areas where, I mean, you know, what can he do? I mean, how many people have been saying for, for, for 20 years that they need to have their own stadiums? But right. never, then nothing ever, ever, ever happens. You know, so, I mean, yeah, I think he can to an extent in some areas. But I think for Italy to become the destination, like you said, and for Italy to become the superpower that it was in the 80s and the 90s, you know, I think everything, there needs to be a, a complete cultural change with everything. It's not just one piece of the jigsaw you sort out and the whole, everything fits together. There's many different pieces of the jigsaw that you need to, you know, you, you, you need to find every piece and sort out every piece of it. I agree. And, you know, this conversation, if you're listening, you know, and I hope, uh, I hope you're enjoying it, but if you're enjoying what Carlo is talking about, you can catch us all the time on the Italian football podcast, which I want to talk about real quick, because this is the type of dialogue that those guys have. And you, Nima and John bring a hell of a perspective and conversation to this game that is so needed and so honest. It is by far and large, again, I will praise this until you all keep, you know, until it's over, <laughs> you know, as long as you keep doing it, I'm going to keep praising it. Um, because it's the first time I've ever really heard like honest, refreshing conversation and important topics, not just how reactionary to the games. Of course, there's that too, but you're talking about these things. You're talking about the cultural impact. You're talking about the, the things that are plaguing the system in Italy far beyond the playing field. And but you're in England and Nim is in Sweden and John is split between America and Italy. I want to know how the three of you came together and how you work on this project. Huh. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, how we came together? Well, I've 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 known Nimmer for for quite a while, for several years, because he a place that I was working at um, before uh, Nimmer. No, Nima did a, did, a, did a bit of work for me um, when I was there. He had some, I mean, Nima's run his own Semper Inter website, which is the biggest Inter uh, uh, news website um, in the, uh, on, the web, on, the, on, the, on the net. And he, um, uh, he does a great job. It's a great website. And he, he, you know, he had some information. He had a few stories that, you know, exclusive stories, transfer stories and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of got to know Inter through that. Um, and then so we kind of knew each other already uh, we've met up a few times and and then Nima was doing his own podcast it wasn't the Italian football podcast it was a it was another it was another podcast I've forgotten the name now it was called something else and it was him him John and uh, another person were doing the podcast and the other person left they were looking for a replacement and, and Nima just you know Nima came to me um, during the summer of almost two years ago now, so it would have been the summer of 2020. It was during the pandemic where we were all bored out of our heads, <laughs> you know, <laughs> locked down and everything. And at the time I was, I wasn't 100% in full-time work. So I had quite a bit of time on my hands at that time, uh, spending a lot of time at home. And he said, look, you know, we need someone to come on, you know, would you be interested? And, and you know, I thought about it and I thought, 
Yeah, I thought, why not? I thought, why not? Um, so, yeah, I came on. We, we, we called it the Italian Football... Changed the name to the Italian Football Podcast. We, we changed a few things around it. You know, how we... Like you said, we wanted to... We wanted to just to talk about issues. Because what I've found through my... I've been nearly 15 years in the industry is that with, the foot, with football, people are more interested in, in, in the issues rather than just talking about the game itself. You know, right. people watch the games. You know, so just analysing who was good, who was bad, you know, why, why, you know, into one the skeleton. You know, yeah, everybody does that and people do that in their own minds already. But I think people, what isn't done so much is talking around the issues around them, you know, and, you know, that's kind of what we, what we try to do. We try and talk about, talk about the issues, uh, big issues on and off the pitch and, and yeah, and it's been, I've really, really enjoyed it. We've really, really, you know, it's gone really well. Um, we've, we've, you know, we've got to interview some, some, you know, some fantastic guests, including yourself. Got to meet some great people like yourself. Um, but you know, we've been met, met, you know, interviewed people from, uh, from, from, from Serie A clubs, footballers, coaches. Um, you know, we've interviewed two England managers, Sven Goran Eriksson, who's become a friend of the show. We've had him on twice. Roy Hodgson, we've interviewed twice. Um, you know, we've interviewed you know ex-Italy players. Um, you know, we've interviewed people from outside of the, the football world who are calcio, uh, you know, Italian football fans. You know, singers. Um, you know, boxers. Paulie Malinaggi, who who uh, is from Bensonhurst. You know, he. We've right. uh, yeah. you know we've had him on a couple of times. He's, I'm a good friend with him. I, you know, I chat to him all the time, and he's a massive uh, Italy fan. We're always, I and mean, he was going crazy the other day about Italy going up. Uh, you know, Joe Calzaghi, one of the greatest boxers of all time. You know, there's there's lots, you know, we've tried to try to get in on non-football uh, pundits because what you find out is that celebrities, they they love, you know, a lot of celebrities, they always, their interviews that they do is always about their, their own craft, their own job. They never really get a chance to talk about their passion. And obviously football is a passion of most people in the world. It's the most popular sport in the world, you know, so they- Absolutely. They jump at the chance of being able to, to talk about football. You know, when I asked Paulie to come on the first time, he said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to come on, but we don't talk about boxing. No boxing talk. You know, I actually wanted to ask him a few boxing questions, but, you know, he was <laughs> like, you know, I talk about boxing all the time and he's fed up of it, you know. And so, you know, it gives them an opportunity to talk about, about uh, you know, something they love, which they don't get. So, yeah, it's been really good. I, to be honest with you, I, just, I, I, I do it, we do it for enjoyment. You know, we're not doing it to make money. Uh, you know the money that we do make it's it's most of it goes goes back into the costs really we're mm-hmm. doing it just because we love it we enjoy it and i look forward to it every week and 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 it's good to it's enjoyable to get guests on as well and i enjoy it every week and i also can't believe i've been putting the same sentence as sven goren erickson so um <laughs> my day has been made thank you very much carla uh we're gonna jump into the final part of the podcast which is my favorite part and it is the rapid fire three questions now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Same three questions I ask every guest. Yeah. Gonna start with the first one. Here we go. If you can bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? 
God, alive or dead. Uh, well, I think I, I, I have to go. Well, for my childhood idol was was Roberto Baggio, so I'd have to I'd have to go Baggio. But I wouldn't mind Maradona. Uh, he wouldn't. He would never join. He would never join. If you've ever watched his his uh, his movie. Yeah, he, uh, he teaches his kids to to tell Juventus to to f off, <laughs> uh, and um, and uh, yeah, so I don't think he would ever join. But I would I would love to. I love Maradona as well. I mean, look, two phenomenal and perfect choices. Uh, if your club could sign one player today, one active player, and money is not an issue, who would it be and why? Oh God! Uh, right, what do Juventus need at the moment more than anything else? A new manager. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Because I knew yeah. I knew I'd get a rile out of you. I had to say it. Yeah, yeah, definitely a new manager. Um oh god. I'm just trying to think. I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna say Pedri. Wow. Because I, I love this guy. I, I I think he's amazing. Amazing player to, to watch. I mean, I could have gone for the obvious as well, obvious ones like Mbappe or or Haaland, or, 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 or the new... I'm just trying to think of who's in the new generation. No, but I like that because you talked about the youth earlier, and this fits. Mm. And the one thing that Spain does so well is obviously they promote their youth. But Pedri, he not only seems to be living up to the hype, he's embracing it. And it only... I, I like You're right. Like, watching him... If you Again, I watched him a year ago, and I'm like, all right, I think they're putting too much pressure on this kid. You watch him this season. It's it's you. Yeah, no, how are you just explode you? And how did Barcelona do it again? Oh right, youth system, of course. Exactly, exactly. The other thing I would say, if Juventus did get him, they they'd have to get rid of definitely have to get rid of Allegri because if Allegri had him, it's it'd, it'd stick him in the it send him to Serie C to to <laughs> um, to serve his apprenticeship to use to use Allegri's words. <laughs> He'd either be at, he'd either be in City Chi or the Heat, or if he did play him, he'd play him as a as a sweeper of some sort and be like, you're just gonna, yeah. you're, you're not moving, you're just gonna stand in front of the defenders. Exactly. Um, <laughs> or stand in front of the keeper, rather. Uh, and finally, what has been your favorite moment as a fan? As a fan. At, at an actual live game, at a live game itself, uh, nothing will be being at the Italy versus Germany semi-final at, at Dortmund, in Dortmund wow. in 2006. I was at that game. I oh, my was, God. I was in the, the, the yellow wall, um, surrounded by Germany fans, just me and my mate, Pep. And we were there. Oh, it was like mystical experience, uh, hard to describe. The, the, you, you felt while you were there that you were witnessing history and we did witness history um, and we were right I was right behind when Grosso scored the goal where I was seated I was behind the goal I was diagonally where Grosso hit the shot I was exactly diagonally in line the diagonal line from where he shot it to the top corner to where I was behind the goal oh my so, god so as soon as he hit it I knew it was a goal straight away. I jumped up straight away because you know, as soon as you hit it, you can see the angle. And yeah. I jumped up before probably anyone else in, in the whole stadium, <laughs> you know, to, to celebrate it and, and you know, in front of all the Germany fans. And uh, 
it was that was that was amazing it was an amazing experience the whole the crowd the atmosphere just the whole it was just a gripping game uh, ebbed and flowed and there was chances and then it went to extra time and it was and it was just so nerve-wracking and then Grosso scored that goal and then and then obviously Del Piero scored the, the, the goal straight after and and then I remember at full time, they played uh, You Never Walk Alone, which is obviously one of the, the football anthems. Mm-hmm. And and I just remember there was just so many Germans around me crying because obviously, you know, it was such a dramatic ending. And even I, like, I, I almost cried. I, felt, I think I cried a little bit because it was just so, the way that it happened, you know, everybody was ready for penalties and right. it would have been such an exhausting, exhilarating, you know, game. And then to, for it to end in that way. So I think... I think definitely, yeah. I think definitely that was that that game as a moment, as a match, being there. I would say definitely that. But I would think also the the there's been some other ones. They're all probably Italy moments, you know. There's been the the, the great Italy games. I mean, I think the, the the semi-final penalty shootout win against Holland in 2000. That was a mm-hmm. really special moment. Um, experience now. I only watched it at home. The final, obviously, in 2006 first time I've seen Italy win anything so <laughs> you almost think like oh we're never going to win anything um, and and uh, you know when you finally win it it's just like oh it's just it's it, the feeling nothing beats that feeling uh, and then obviously last year as well winning the um, winning the Euros as well was a great feeling you know because it was uh, the first Euros I've ever seen Italy win and it was also kind of quite surprising as well uh, in you know in, the way that Italian, as we've discussed in this pod, the way Italian football has been the last 10 to 15 years, been so, you know, in decline and, and struggling in many ways. And then to, to come out and win that against England and their home, their home ground in Bedford, you know, with right. the Derby, it was, it was, that was quite, yeah, that was, that was quite a, quite a magic moment as well. I mean, all of this, all of this, I mean, I. What about you? We're playing all of it in my head. Like, oh no, for me, definitely it would be 2006 final. I mean, you know what it was? My family got me into this game. And I talked about this in episode one of this pod uh, cast. And my family got me into this game. And summer 2006 was special. I had just graduated college. And, you know, World Cup's happening. I'm working downtown in New York. At, you know, I, I had this internship for a couple of years. Um, I kept interning at the same place and finally got a full-time job there. So I'm working in like this ultra hip, very cool office in this ultra hip, very cool neighborhood. And I'd get into work every morning and go to the cafes and just felt like it was part of the United Nations. Soccer hadn't really been a major thing here in the U.S. It wasn't the way it is now. Um, So I would just go, go, I would the happiest kid on earth to go to work early just to sit in a cafe before my shift started sip espresso, have a biscotti and watch some games or any game. I was doing that every day for that duration of that cup. Um, But the final was a culmination of like a lot of special moments because it was everybody. I was surrounded by everybody that got me into that game, that got me into loving this team, loving the sport. Some of them are no longer with us now, especially my grandfather. Mm. And um, yeah, and what's funny is, is that it was my parents were hosting a graduation party for both my sister and I, I graduated college the same year she graduated high school. So it was, you know, there's, they have a 
a lot of people in the backyard and everyone's crammed in, in this little living room watching this game. And the moment happened, you know, the, the grosso kick, we win. And, you know, it's, it's that moment of just, there are still the beer stains on my parents' ceiling from, you know, from everybody just going absolutely berserk. But that's what's great about football, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, you, it brings back memories of, you re, you know, you remember where you were. Yeah, dude, I remember in. what I was wearing. I, like, that's you associate, a, yeah, you associate it to your family and your friends as well. And that brings back memories through, through watching these football games, doesn't it? 100%. Like, I mean, a bit like music as well. Like yes. When you, when, you, when you hear a song, it kind of brings back a memory of, of a part of your life or something you associate, uh, good or bad, um, but also people as well, doesn't it? And uh, I think it's the same with football that you remember, especially, you know, when you win a game, you remember, oh, I was there, I was with this person when we watched that game, when we watched Italy, you know, win. You know, I've got a friend that I watched the, the penalty shootout uh, of Italy winning the World Cup in 2006. And it's one of the things we always say to each other. It's like, yeah, we watched the, you know, we watched that we still cracked an inside joke about it because we were being superstitious when Italy were winning, when Italy had the, the, the penalty shootout, you know, we were, we said something superstitious to each other. And we were, after every penalty, we had to keep saying the same thing to make sure they scored the next penalty. Dude, I uh, get that. Yo, what's funny is, is that the, the, the only game Italy didn't get a full three points was the game against the U.S. team. So I noticed that it was that day, that match, like I only wore like a white T-shirt. But mm. the other times I had like this really, look, it was 2006. Yeah. Everybody was like, you know, it was a very like, I guess you would say in the UK, chavy. You know, I was dressing very much like that, you know, young, early 20s. So I had this, you can laugh. I had this Armani Exchange soccer jersey that said the word like Veloce. Man, you got to do it. what you got to do. So I wore that. So I happened to wear that during the first victory. So that was game one. And I'm and I didn't think much of it. Game two, I realized, oh, I'm wearing a different shirt. And that was when they played the US. You know, De Rossi elbowing McBride in the face. They drop points. It's only a one-one. It's like so con- you know, all these things are happening. And I, and I don't have that same t-shirt on. So for the remainder of the tournament, I kept this terrible Armani, very, very hey, body yeah. AX t-shirt or jersey, you know, mock jersey. And wore that every game. By the end of the final, the, it was so frayed that I had to, I, we won, and I just remember taking it off and throwing it in the garbage and being like, "Okay, you served your purpose." Yeah. But the superstition, I get that, man. I, I know, everybody looks at me like I've done the same. Done the same in two thousand and six. Wore the same shirt every single game. It's an Italy shirt. <laughs> in the then in the final because I in two thousand and six I was in Germany for every single. I watched every single Italy game in the two thousand and six World Cup except the final because when I bought tickets I applied for them through the FIFA website mm. and we when I applied it was about eighteen months before Italy won the World Cup and we just lost to Slovenia in a World Cup qualifier right. and actually at the time you know, uh, you know there was a bit of criticism for Lippi at the time and the way that Italy were playing, and no one really thought Italy could win the World Cup back then, 18 months prior. Uh, uh, the six months leading up to the World Cup, uh, you know, took a year later, Italy suddenly hit form, and it went on loads, of, and then suddenly then they were a contender. But 18 months before, they weren't. And so I, I had a chance to apply for tickets, and I thought, right, I'm just going to apply up. You could apply up to uh, follow my team up until any game. And I applied just up to and including the semi-final because... I thought we're not going to get to the final. We'll just we'll just go. We'll do it up to the semis because you know we might get there. And if we don't get to the semis, then I'll just sell the semi-final ticket. I thought maybe quarter-final was where we'd get to. So and also it was a lot cheaper. So 
that's what I did. Then we got to the, then we ended up getting to the finals. I didn't have tickets for it. And um, so I went home for the final and watched the final at home in Bedford. And uh, in the for some reason in the final, for the final, I wore a different shirt. Um, but I was in a like an, an Italian club watching it in the car park in a big screen. And uh, when France went ahead, I left the car park, went back to my car, took off my new shirt that I wore and put on my old shirt that I wore for the whole tournament. <laughs> yes, By the time yes. I got back, about two minutes after I got back, so I missed a few minutes. By the time I got back, Matt Rats equalized. So it was, it was, a, it was a lucky, lucky shirt, baby. Like, that's it, you know? And I, what's funny yeah. is, is that I threw out that shirt and I still feel like I've put some sort of uh, malocchia uh, it's in, probably in a landfill, you know, 16, 17 years later. But um, we haven't been able to win anything since. When when we won the Euro this summer, it was different. Um, I have this crazy superstition where I and and people make fun of me all the time for it. I will not wear an Italian any sort of Italian gear on the day they play. I feel like I'm giving them like some sort of malocchio. But I will wear blue, and that that terrible AX soccer jersey I had was blue. Um, so I will wear the color blue. I wore the color blue the day we won the final in the, in this past summer and every other game, uh, they played this past summer too. So it's, uh, I, I appreciate, most, I appreciate I'm the most superstitious person you could get. I, 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 I keep a track on everything on anyone that I think is superstitious and I try and do everything to, to avoid Nimmer is one of them and he hates it. He absolutely hates it. When I say that he's a jinx, that whenever he predict someone to win to win the opposite happens and he i mean he predicted it italy to beat macedonia and i begged him and this is true during the match against macedonia when it was nil nil with about 20 minutes half an hour to go i whatsapped him and i said to him please 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 i'm begging you can you just whatsapp me that italy are going to lose this game i said that to him and he got really got really angry and he was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because he hates it. He, he gets really wound up when I say that he's a jinx. And he goes, no, 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 I won't do it. And I was like, if Italy lose this game to Macedonia, I'm blaming you, just so you know. And then he wouldn't do it. He refused to do it. Oh, way to put the burden of uh, all this on his shoulders. <laughs> Carlo, this has been absolutely amazing. I'm so happy to have you on. And uh, thank you for everything. Let the people know where they can find you on the social networks. And grazie per tutto. Yeah, no, uh, same to you. I mean, it was, I really enjoyed it. Um, thanks for having me on. You can get me on Twitter at Carlo Garganese. And you can follow our, you can become a patron of our podcast, the Italian Football Podcast on patreon.com slash TIFP. It's $2.99 a month. Uh, and for that, you get... Uh, a minimum of two podcasts a week. One is a Monday review show, which reviews the past uh, week's action uh, and Italian football in general, uh, the, the matches and, and the news. And then we have a, a Thursday interview uh, episode where we interview someone from the world of culture. It could be a player, a coach, an ex-player, an ex-coach, uh, you know, celebrities, the people that I talked about earlier. Um and um, we also have bonus podcasts, post-match reactions and, and other content as well. And that's all, yeah, that's all on there. We do have a Twitter account as well, which um, I can't remember the handle, but it's just, just search in Italian Football Podcast and you will, you will find it. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.